Thank you for downloading Tube Flash Tales, original flash fiction inspired by London Underground and vintage and contemporary brooches. If you want to find out more, visit the Tube Flash website, but not before you've listened to this set of Tube Flash Tales. End of the line. Lambeth North. The Lambeth Walk of Shame by Tegan Marlowe. It was that time of the morning. The commuters were making their way to work. Shoppers were hitting the early morning January sales and I was just trying to make it home as fast as possible. My head was pounding and my cheeks flushed with the embarrassing recollection of last night. I'd never even been to Lambeth before and after today I wasn't planning on ever going back. That guy was crazy. As I turned down another street, out of nowhere, that old song, The Lambeth Walk, floated into my head. Every little Lambeth gal with every little Lambeth pal, you'll find them all doing the Lambeth Walk. Well, this was one Lambeth gal who was certainly without her Lambeth pal. I felt disgusting in last night's dress, yesterday's makeup, and a broken shoe. Nobody had made a song about the Lambeth Walk of Shame. I could almost feel the judgment radiating from every passerby. But they didn't know my story. I mean, how many girls wake up with a complete stranger confessing their love to them? I cringed at the memory of him grabbing my hand and telling me that everything was going to be okay and he was going to stick by me through the hard times and the good and offering to make me pancakes. He didn't even know me or have any Nutella. I shook my head, trying to clear it out. Minor slip-up, time to get things back on track. As I shot down the steps at the underground station, planning what to do with the rest of my day, I suddenly remembered. My heart froze. I'd left my wallet on his nightstand. Ravenscourt Park Odin's Ravens by Alice Vinton One by one my ravens come. Their blackened talons scrape a shiver of anticipation up my ancient spine. Trapped down here, they are my eyes. I gave them human skin. I had only the power to create a thin illusion. A closer look would reveal a flash of black beak and oily feather. But the mortals never look. Sitting in their hollow tubes from here to there, eyes averted... Is it the scent of their own doom that makes them look away? My ravens are hung in dirty rags, with plagued faces. They sit on the floor. No one cares to see them, so they are free to watch. Abandoned by the species they assume to be part of, they watch and they see. All act 
looks captured in their beady black eyes, stored like chewed worms in their gullets, regurgitated for me. They come to me, deep underground, slipping easily from the crowds, because they are invisible. If only the mortals knew what lurks in the cavernous recesses beneath their metal cocoons. I have room enough for thousands of ravens. They bring me acts of cruelty, spite and greed, wretched from their stinking mouths. Each act I swallow, gobbling like a blind baby bird, hungry for more. I smile as the mortals carelessly sin, their complacency feeding me, so that I grow stronger as each day passes. Sinews stretch and strengthen with each misdeed. Selfish thoughts steal my will. Turned heads sharpen my yellow teeth. Look away from those in need. Abandon the weak and plough forward. Encased in your roaring carriages, rip up the insides of the world. Disturb the long dead. Well, I am not dead. I am Odin, the one surviving heathen god, the warmonger and sower of strife. And I am coming. Barbican. Blood Orange by Lisa Matthews Your latest orchestral piece is a limestone cliff that you want me to throw myself off. Instead, I jump-start the Cortina and drive it slap-bang into the space between notation and stave, but not before taking your zippo out of the glove box and setting fire to the house. Later, you'll pull back your cuff like some inky conjurer all the strings blooming in a bilge of bindweed and black flowers. Your face is seed-case hard, and my desire, once large and incalculable, sits snivelling now in the bath with a craft knife in its hand. You own a basement flat in Balham. Its walls, its ceilings, its ridiculous path and stained glass hold all the phrasing that doesn't end up in the auditorium. You made this happen. After all the hems and stocking tops, I thought you'd know this is who I am, that it bears no relation to your standing as a person, as a man. Create something out of the first time you found me with my head where it ought not to have been. Say my name in the rests. Say my name in the space. Take the audience somewhere they've never been. And in the garden... By the back gate, there's a coda of light where I left my fragile breath. It's been scored down the middle and prized in two like a beetle. The gravelling of another Sunday under my knees does nothing to address the keening or the boredom. The shutters at the window, the five-levered mortise, the stunted answer-phone messages that sing we're out when really we're in. The 
concrete floor. The panic room of your armoured heart. Let's not start this up again. Smooth your hair in the mirror and take something to eat from the fridge when you leave. Earl's Court. Prick by Ursula Dewey. It was the first time Katie was going to Florian's place, and he had promised to cook dinner, the ominous third date. They'd bantered by text about steak tartare and snails, frogs' legs too, forced jokes and eager overworked replies. She thought he was charming. Katie felt giddy as she ascended the escalator. Then nervous as she searched for the right exit, he lived on the side with constant traffic and sirens. He said. Out of the station, she took a minute to massage her hair at the roots to give it extra volume, and reapplied her lip balm while dissolving a mint on her tongue. Florian's flat was on the right. Her heartbeat skipped as she neared. The thought of his searching hands from their second date brought the flutter of trapped wings to her stomach, butterflies with nowhere to go. She'd prepared for all outcomes, had shaved her legs, bought protection, had worn matching lingerie, and something lucky too: her leather jacket with the koala brooch, paws anxiously clutching the bough of a tree. You. Can't prepare for everything, of course. Katie hadn't. She couldn't have anticipated her change of heart, or the twisted hand on her throat, or the fact Florian didn't understand the word no. As his hot breath steamed on her cheek, his sweat sour, she ripped the brooch off, tearing her jacket. With the bear clutched in her right hand, she stabbed the pin into his back, drawing blood and sending him shooting away from her like a spring. A clamour down the stairs, a sprint to the tube, her hand still clutching the brooch, the pin extended and spattered with small red beads. As the carriage doors shut, she took a tissue from her pocket and wiped them clean away. Waterloo. Water Wings by Lindsay May. She ducks under the water, a pair of goggles revealing the rippling bodies beneath it. Rise, suck, duck. She bubbles along the bottom of the pool, propelled from the edge she pushed from, undulating like a stingray. She forces herself lower, as close to the tiles as possible, even though every atom of air in her body wills her to rise, to pop from the water like the gillless girl she is. Her open mouth scoops in air before she dips back under to power forward and catch up with the man in front with shadows all down his back. 
The man is steady, and she could go faster. She dangles by his feet, entranced by the way his shadows move with him, symmetrical, one either side of his spine. She thinks of tattoos, but as she watches, the shadows ruffle. She moves back to the surface too quickly and sniffs in a splash. Gulping the chemicals away from the back of her throat, she dives down to his depths again. She sees the shadows still stuck there and the way he flies through the water, as though he has wings. Her breaststroke pushes her closer and closer still, and she imagines him unfurling, reaching for the sky. Bubbles escape her mouth in great gobbles of excitement, and her strokes are erratic as she swoops in for a better look. Together they swim to the shallows. Light streams through the glass roof, shimmering and cutting through the water, illuminating her fingers as her nails accidentally slash the man's calf. She recoils in horror and surfaces with a cough kicking her chest. The man stands to turn and tell her off, water trickling and shining down his back, his wings now nothing but a thick, furry coating of hair. Monument All's Well That Ends Badly by Joanna Sterling I'd moved into Lavender Cottage on the 15th of April 2013, falling in love with its chocolate box looks, charmed by the inscription over the door, built by Tom, Thatcher of this parish, in 1791. In a moment of weakness, I invite my few remaining relatives still alive to celebrate the festive season in my picturesque idyll. My brother Marcus and his wife Hilary drive down in the ancient rover. Fifi runs round the Christmas tree, yapping at the lights and coloured baubles, finally settling down on the ottoman. Lunch is going well, all things considering. The lack of dentures doesn't seem to be impeding Aunt Hetty's enjoyment, sucking on her beef with evident pleasure and dribbling gravy down her blue dress. Even my overcooked spinach is eaten. As everyone waits for dessert, Cousin Samantha, despite fervent warnings not to smoke, opens the small leaded light window, puffing and flicking out the ash of her foul-smelling Rothman's cigarette. A sudden gust of wind, and the candles on the mantelpiece sway, wobble, and finally topple over, landing on the kaleidoscope-patterned cloth of green, yellow, and purple covering the piano. I'm mesmerised as... Tongues of orange ochre and amber wrap themselves around the flimsy chintz curtains, curl and coil, interlocking their fingers of destruction through the back of the chairs and envelop the table. The only object defying the onslaught of fire? My homemade Christmas pudding. Uncle Roland takes a drag on his electronic cigarette. I hear him mutter, He never bloody well puts enough brandy in it. Flames now leap towards the ancient oak beams and combustible roof. I'm left with a handful of insane memories, a paper bag of delicious moments. My dream, not a pile of cinders, but more stories. Maybe? You've been listening to a Tube Flash production, End of the Line, read by Holly Greenwood, Keith Morris, Claire Vowsden, Tom Blythe and Richard Hodder.
If you enjoyed this download, why not visit the Tube Flash website, www.tubeflash.co.uk, where you'll find more underground tales to download and keep forever entirely free by following the iTunes link.